we're talking about the measures we use in our lives. Yesterday, I stumbled out of bed. Um, we're the kind of parents that we, we let our kids get up uh, and they go play for a while while we shut our eyes for just a moment longer. Uh, I don't know if that makes us bad parents or not, but, you know, it, it only lasts until either I hear them like, oh gosh, they're really tearing apart the house. I better get up. Or uh, they're just like so hungry because my kids wake up starving. They're like ravenous. I don't know what they do during the night, uh, what kind of exercises they're doing during the night, but they are starving in the morning. And so, uh, so I stumbled out of bed yesterday. I went into the kitchen. I hadn't made pancakes in a while. And so I thought, oh, today's the day I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put some pancakes. And so I started putting uh, the ingredients for pancakes together for the batter because a couple of years ago I found uh, this really great recipe of making pancake batter from scratch. And so we don't buy the biscuit or the pancake mix anymore. And it tastes delicious. And so I like doing it. And so I put the flour into the mixing bowl. And then I started adding uh, the baking powder to it. And I needed three and a half teaspoons of baking powder. And so I, I turn around and I just kind of you know, just kind of walk over to the, to the other side. I grab the, the, the half teaspoon and I'm just like counting to seven. Like, okay, I guess, you know, one, two, three. And I get to like about five and I started to think like, wow, this is really a lot of baking powder. Like, I'm like scraping the bottom of the can of baking powder. Like, this is, I don't, re-. and so then I look down into my hand and I realized that I hadn't grabbed the half teaspoon, I'd grabbed the half tablespoon which is like a pretty big difference. And, and now, you, you, once you put it in the bowl, you can't tell the difference between flour and baking powder. Like, you're not going to get that back out, right? But I know, like, I only had so much flour to begin with. And so I, I had to throw it all out uh, and, and, kinda, and start all over and pray that God would multiply my flour so that, that I could do it again. Because the batter was ruined. I, 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 just, I just hoped that I had a, enough ingredients to start over. That's the danger of using the wrong measurement in our lives. We all use some kind of indicator, right, to gauge our own health and to gauge our own growth. But are we using the right measurement? What if we're just using the measurement that was handed down to us by our family? What if we've simply stumbled through life using the same measures as the culture around us, just kind of sleepily going through life, using those measures. I mean, you have to measure if you want to see if something's growing. We have to measure our lives, but we need to use the right measure to see if we're growing in the right ways. We don't want to get 10, 15 years down the road to discover that we used the wrong measurement. And now we have to start over. In fact, I don't really like going one year using the wrong measurement. There have been times and seasons in my life where I've gotten to a certain point and all of a sudden I've realized I've been using the wrong measurement and that frustrates me. I want to grow and I want to be healthy. And so I know that I need to measure my life. And so I just want to talk about the measures that we use. Now, uh, here with Sought Church... We are seeking God together for the life of downtown Las Vegas. That's what we're doing. And it's what we do when we're together in a space like this 
We encourage one another. We worship together. We equip each other to seek God together for the life of downtown Las Vegas. But one of the unique things about church is that it's not just what we are and what we do when we are together. It's also what we are and what we do when we are apart. We are sought church. Sometimes we are gathered. Most times we are scattered all throughout the week. But in all of it, we are sought church. We are seeking God together for the life of downtown Las Vegas. And so we can measure our life, not only as a church, but also as individuals, by how we are doing in the mission that God has called us to. We are seeking God together for the life of downtown Las Vegas. And so last week, we talked about a measure, uh, an indicator, something that we can use to talk about seeking God, embracing the gospel, embracing Jesus, the, the person of Jesus, His deity, His life on earth, His death and His resurrection. He is what we hold on to. He is all that we need. He is, is absolutely what we need. Our theology may change. How we live out our faith may change. Our circumstances certainly will change. But give me Jesus. And so we can measure our individual lives and our lives together by asking ourselves, am I embracing Jesus more now? That was the measurement that we talked about last week. Today I want to talk about a measure for together. How do we measure togetherness? Should we measure togetherness? Now, probably obvious, I think we should. But let me tell you why I think we should measure togetherness. Scientifically, togetherness is an important indicator and predictor of health. Every scientific study that has been done shows that we need connection in our lives. Whether it's from a psychological, sociological, or physiological point of view, every scientific study says that we need each other from infancy to death. In fact, when, when, when a little child is born, they often encourage that the baby go right from being born right onto the mother's skin to immediately begin the bonding between a mother and a child, to let the child know it's all different now, but you're not alone. Immediately from the very beginning. Scientists, they go and the sociologists, they try and measure our uh, capacity for connection. And everybody has a different uh, capacity for connection. Some people can handle more than others. But there is a limit on, and, on that. There's a cap on that. And so they, they measure, okay, how many do that? And then, and then how do we manage those connections? How do we deepen those connections? Togetherness is not an optional part of being a human. You don't grow out of togetherness. In fact, that's one of the hard things about aging. As you get older and older, it becomes harder and harder to find those connections again, and the connections you do have, sadly, start dying. And so that many elderly people have a hard time because they feel lonely because they've lost the connections that they've had throughout most of their life. I often wonder, is that why it seems like spouses that have been married for a long time seem to die so close together? 
is because they, they've had that connection for so long. I, I really wonder if that's true. We all need connection in our lives. It's not an option. It is absolutely necessary to being a human. Every scientific study was, would tell us that. Now, theologically, we believe the same thing. Theologically, we are made for togetherness. There are a couple of theological, I mean, you could find it all throughout the Bible. Pick a passage, it's probably in there. But let me just kind of give you some big, broad categories where theologically we believe this, what we believe about God and His story and His creation. First, we believe that God is three in one. It's the thing we call the Trinity. It's what we sang about earlier this evening. Our God is three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe that for all of eternity, God has not existed solely, but instead, the, the mystery of God is that God is three and one and they are together connected together and so relationship togetherness connectedness is woven into the very fabric of God whether we were on this earth or not God would still be together with God and so the Trinity and, and our beliefs about the nature of God tell us that even God seeks togetherness and since we are made in the image of God we have that same innate desire in us. That part of God's image that is planted on humanity is a part of who we are. And we see this in the creation account. God goes through, you know, and, and He makes the, you know, first he, he forms the earth, and then there's, you know, the sun and the moon, there's land, water, animals, plants. He goes through the whole thing, and then He makes, he makes Adam, the first man. And then He says, but it's not good for Adam to be alone. And he's not like alone in the fact that like there's not other stuff there. It's not like Adam is in this like dark room. What he is, is he can't find anybody like him to connect with. And so God says, it's not good for Adam to be alone. Let me make Eve. And so they make Eve. And then God gives them the command to fill the earth. Go and multiply have some babies. Be together. Jesus is nearing the end of his life here on earth, right before the crucifixion. And he spends some time with his disciples. And John, who is one of his disciples, you know, he ends up writing about Jesus' life. He records this whole discourse of Jesus' life at the end. It's John chapter 13 through 17, basically. It's the whole night of the Last Supper. And, and in that, Jesus has this prayer. And he, and he says, Father, I pray that these disciples would be one just as you and I are one. I pray that they would be connected together just like you and I are connected together. As long as they stay in me, and they're connected in me, then they will be connected to you. This whole prayer that Jesus prays is about togetherness. It's about unity. It's about being connected to each other. And then he goes on, and he says, For people will know that you're my disciples by the way that you love one another. And so Jesus says, hey, I'm, I'm going to heaven. I'm ascending to heaven. Don't worry. I'll come back. Come back for you later. But while I'm gone, I want you to make disciples. Go into all the earth, baptizing them, teaching them, and bringing them into this new kingdom, this new good news. Make a disciple just like I taught you. Go and taught, 
teach somebody else. And the way that they will know that you're my disciple is if you love one another. And so togetherness, connectedness is essential for the mission that God has given us. If we're going to seek God together for the life of downtown Las Vegas, we don't have the option to do it alone. It is absolutely critical. So how then, if we should, let's say that I have convinced you, yes, we should measure togetherness. Now, how? How do we measure togetherness? One of the measures that I think that we can use in this togetherness category is friendship. Friendship. We are facing a friendship crisis right now. Not just us. I don't know that we. The United States is facing a friendship crisis right now. From 1985 to 2004, one study said that the average number of confidants that a person has, you know, a confidant is that person that you implicitly trust. They know the good, the bad, the ugly. They're the person that you tell the news before you tell the news. You know what I'm saying? A confidant. The average number of confidants for, the person, uh, for, for one person has gone down from three to two over 20 years. From three to two. People report feeling more and more lonely than they ever have before. We're facing a friendship crisis. Part of it is is in our structures. Our structures are not the same as they were in previous generations. Now please, I am not like a, hey, let's go back to the good old days. I don't think the good old days exist. Uh, But I do think there have been some changes along the way. And I don't know that we understood the changes when we made it. So like simple things, they, they, they've now measured and they, they go around and they've looked at how new houses being built. New houses really aren't built with front porches anymore. You know what I mean? Nobody goes out and sits on the front porch just waiting for neighbors to walk by. That, that doesn't happen. Right? There's not even a front porch for you to sit by. If you were to drive through my neighborhood in downtown Las Vegas, around those, uh, that, that neighborhood, all those houses were built around 1950. Right? You take that and then you go out to a new construction neighborhood, either you know, out uh, in, in Summerlin or, or down in the southwest part of town, and you can look and you can see the difference in structure of the house. The houses in my neighborhood all have a driveway. And the garage is set back. If you were to go to most new construction neighborhoods, you would find that the garage meets right at the street. And this is like, get me into my house. I'm going to close the door before I get out of my car because God forbid somebody come talk to me while I'm trying to get from my door to my, or my car door to my front door. You know what I'm saying? Just, just structure has changed. Technology has changed around us. We have a whole new structure of interacting with the world. I've been seeing a counselor uh, for a few weeks now. And, and in one of my counseling appointments, uh, he said to me, you know, I, I have one patient, teenager, and he's coming to see me because he just can't talk to people. And he told me 
When I'm online, I can talk and interact really well. But when I'm standing face to face with someone, I don't know what to say. It's literally changing how we think and how we are. We say things on the internet that we would never say face to face to a person. One of the things that I have a church planter friend who was a history major. And uh, he said this, he said, you know, I think some of the dysfunction that, that we see in Washington and in politics is because now uh, when the weekend hits, politicians head home to their districts. You know, everybody can get on a plane now. And, and so, you know, it's Friday, your, your congressman, your congresswoman takes a plane back and, and attends some community events over the weekend and then goes back to D.C. for the work week. And I think that's great to be able to connect with constituents. That's awesome. But he said, I think one of the things that's happened is when we didn't have planes that could send people immediately back across the country, they all had to stay in Washington, D.C., and they'd end up hanging out together and eating together. And when you hang out and you eat together, you discover, hey, that person's not bad. They might be different. They, we might disagree on ideas, but I had dinner with them. And so you find a way to work together. Even the way, to, uh, the way transportation is, changes. Are, so the structures that we have, I don't know anymore that the structures that we have are built for friendship. And so we're, we're facing a decline uh, in the average number of confidence, we, we have structural things. And then we just have sin. Sin hinders friendship. Sin makes me selfish. And it's hard to be a friend when you're selfish. Sin just keeps us from one another. And so when you annoy me, I just go, it's easier to not be around you. You know what I'm saying? Sin is, is more than just like it, it block. It, 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 is, it is this disease. It is this block. And when we're not rightly connected with God, I would argue that we could never rightly be connected with each other. And so because of a sin problem, we have a friendship problem. So we're facing this friendship crisis. But we know togetherness is important and, and friendship is a part of that. And so here's our measurement. Here's the question I think that we can ask ourselves. Am I making new friends? Am I making new friends? This isn't just a measurement for our individual lives. This is how we measure our church. If we're going to grow, if we're going to be healthy... We need to measure friendship. Am I making new friends? Are we a church where people can make new friends? Jesus had something to say about friendship. Because Jesus came to make friends with us. God forges this friendship with us. He makes us friends of God. And He does it by overcoming all of our own faults and all of our own sin. He does it by overcoming the vast dis dis distance between us and God. 
He takes all of that responsibility on himself and he decides, I'm going to be their friend. That's like my daughter. My daughter Chloe, my oldest daughter, she has never been to a place where she didn't decide walking in, I'm going to make a friend. And it doesn't matter if anybody else is there to make a friend, she's there to make a friend. And inevitably, she walks away going, I just made friends, why do we have to leave now? God took all of that initiative and all of that responsibility on Himself so that we could be friends with God. Who wouldn't want to be friends with God? If there is a God who as a human being wouldn't want to say, yeah, I'd like to be friends with the Creator of the universe. I think that sounds pretty great. But ask the question from God's perspective. God, would you like to be friends with your broken creation? There's not, sometimes I look around and I go, these people I don't want to be friends with. (laughs) God, would you want, and God says, as a matter of fact, yes I would. And I will do all of the work. And so God becomes, he makes himself a friend. This is what Jesus says about friendship in in John chapter 15. Like I said, this is in this, this portion of John's gospel, what he's written about John's life or about Jesus' life, and it's near the end, right before Jesus is going to be crucified. And he says this, This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. Love each other in the same way I've loved you. There's no greater love than laying down your life for a friend. And that's exactly what Jesus goes on to do. Jesus goes to the cross. Nobody forced him there. He he chose the cross. And he's crucified. Why? To make a friend. He said, look, you have a sin problem. I'll take care of that sin problem. Because your sin problem means death. I'll take that death on myself. It's not my death. I don't have a sin problem. Jesus didn't have a sin problem. We had a sin problem. I'll take it on myself. And he rises from the grave. So this isn't just about forgiveness. This is about a new kingdom. Where you can be connected to God and to each other. And the grand story of all that God is doing in the universe. And so through my death and resurrection, I'm making you a friend. I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. Jesus made friends with us even though there was nothing He needed from us. Jesus made friends with us before there was anything. There there is. There's nothing that we can do for Him. He just made friends with us. That's the way of God. In fact, later in the New Testament, another writer, James, will say, and he'll talk about the nature of God and how God works, and he'll say, hey, remember back, this is, remember back thousands of years before Jesus, there was a guy named Abraham? Let me tell you, Abraham believed, and God said, 
hey, that's enough. I'll call you a friend of God. Because of his, Abraham believed and trusted in God, it was counted to him as righteousness, and so he was called a friend of God. The way of God is to make friends, and God does it by taking all of the responsibility and the initiative on himself. That's what he's done for you and I, so that we could be friends of God, and I think it tells us how we are supposed to make friends. How do we make and deepen friendships? You lay down your life. That's not a popular thing. How do you make a new friend? You you lay down your life. And and I want to say this, specifically to us, I think one of those practices is you give your time. Time is precious. And amazingly, time is equal. Everybody gets 24 hours. It's one of those few resources in life that everybody gets the same amount every day. And so, when, when you go through and, and this becomes, you know, how are you doing? Oh, I'm so busy. That's really a bad answer. I, I, I want to cut that answer out of my own life because I, I say it too often. You're not so busy. You've just made some choices. That's, that's what it comes down to. You know what I mean? When, when you say, no, no, I can't do that. I, I'm too busy. It's not, no, you're not too busy. You just say, what, what you're really saying is, no, that's not important enough for me to make some time. Because somebody else has made some time for it. You, you understand what I'm saying? This, this, we're getting real personal. We're cutting real close to Jake's heart today. It's not that I'm so busy. It's that I'm choosing to do other things with my time. And so how do I make a friend? I lay down my life. What is one of the things that I hold dearest to my life? It is my time. And I like it when it's my time. I don't like it when it's your time. And so what would happen if I went through life and instead said, my time is your time. I called a pastor about six weeks ago. He's a mentor of mine. Man, uh, I talked with him for a while. And, and at one point in the conversation, he's, we were talking about faithfulness. And he said, Jake, I want you to know, I was in the middle of doing my sermon prep. I interrupted this man. Uh, he has a couple thousand people in his church in the middle of his sermon prep. And he said, you called right during my sermon prep. And I could have looked at the idea and said, Jake Musselman, Las Vegas, leave a message. But instead, I picked up the phone. And he said, I'll be honest with you, when we first started talking, I was doing some other stuff. But I could tell by the nature of our conversation that this was important to you. And so I literally got up from my desk and I went to a different corner of my office. I can't even see my computer anymore because I wanted to give you my time. That meant so much to me. His time became my time. He literally, for 45 minutes to an hour, laid down his time for me. There's a study that says building deeper relationships, deeper friendships, may largely be a matter of putting in time. 
recent study out of the University of Kansas found that it takes 50 hours of socializing to go from acquaintance to casual friend. Somebody you know their name, now you know a little bit of their story. 50 hours to go from acquaintance to casual friend. An additional 40 hours to become a real friend. You, you all know what a real friend is, right? right? We've all got real friends, right? So that's 90 hours that it takes to go from acquaintance, 90 hours of socializing to go from acquaintance to real friend, and a total of 200 hours to become a close friend. That's what it takes. 200 hours of socializing, of hanging out, of being together to get from acquaintance to close friend. I want you to know that that we will never hit 200 hours by coming together once a week on Sunday nights for about an hour of time where mostly we sing together and you listen to me talk for a lot of it. Never going to get to 200 hours that way. You know what I mean? We're never going to get to 200 hours by just hoping that someday the time will work out and we can get together. You can only get to 200 hours of socializing to make a close friend by intentionally choosing to lay down your time for that person. Additionally, I would would state it another way. You're only going to have a close friend if you're willing to make some time. You've all, we've all experienced that thing where somebody's called us up. I, I, I feel guilty as I've, I've, as I've prepared this message because I've done it to some of you where you've said, hey, let's go do this. And I said, I don't have time. We're ne- I'm never going to get to having close friends if I keep doing that. It's just not going to happen. You've got to lay down your life. You've got to put in the time. How do we measure together? Am I making new friends? Jesus made us friends with God. Because of that, we can be friends with each other. Most of us in this room would not be friends with each other if it weren't for Jesus. We became friends here. Seeking Jesus together. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we should follow His example. And we should make new friends. We should make friends just to be friends. Not because of what they can do for us. Jesus didn't make friends because of what we could do for him. He just made friends. We should make new friends by laying down our life. By giving our time. By making our time available. Because if we're going to be for the life of downtown Las Vegas... If we're going to grow in our own lives, being together isn't an option. 
we are seeking God together for the life of downtown Las Vegas. You are a human being with an innate desire and need for friendship. It doesn't work any other way.